Father, may we, as we hear this word, as it washes over us today, may we allow it to soak into our hearts today. May it not just be um, an intellectual exercise or a box to check that we went to church this morning, but may the word go forth and do what it is called to do, to go into our minds, to go into our hearts, to cut through hardness of heart and evaluate our hearts and get right down to the very heart of man and woman today. I can't do that. My words will fall flat. I can't, I can't make that happen, but you can by your spirit. And so, Lord, may your word go forth from me, from the scriptures this morning. Might we be transformed because we sat under the preaching of the word today. We thank you for all the churches in our area that we get the opportunity, the privilege to partner with here who are preaching the gospel this morning and ministering to people and drawing people to worship. And we pray for the churches around the world, all of our partners, as they gather today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9, says this. This is the Apostle Paul, says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified, that is, you are made righteous before God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. As scripture says, anyone, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew And Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they haven't believed? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here from Romans chapter 10, Paul is going to tell us three very simple truths about the gospel. This might be the simplest message I've ever preached, the three simplest points I've ever preached, okay? So here's number one. Simple truth number one, we have great news. We have great news. Two weeks ago, my phone, as I was uh, sitting here uh, listening to the preacher, uh, my phone was, was just going, going off. It was, uh, it was blowing up text messages, and I'm like, who in the world is texting me? Everybody I know knows where I am today. You don't text the preacher uh, in the middle of the sermon, okay? Just like news for you, just in case you have my number. Don't do that. Um, but it's going, it's going off, and so I kind of nonchalantly, I'm like, okay, try not to let people see I'm reading text messages in church. Well, I came to find out it, my family was sending a bunch of texts back and forth because my dad was rushed to the ER. And it just happened that morning, 
And so, like, of course, I'm distracted. I'm ready to come up and lead through communion, and that's on my mind. That was kind of hard. But after uh, all the, everything in the, all the morning activities ended, I quit go to my phone. I catch up on what's going on, and it, it's not looking good. There's some, there's some very serious things going on. And so I asked my, my, uh, our couple small group, you know, send out a text, hey, can you all be praying for my dad? Here's what's going on. We're praying for best case scenario, but, you know, it's not looking so good of what might be going on. And, and I text our, our, our or emailed our, our church staff and asked everybody to pray. And, you know, I'm feeling anxious. Oh, my goodness, what's going on? About an hour later, my mom texts everybody, great news. It's actually the best case scenario. It's not the worst case scenario. It's the best case scenario. They did some exploratory, you know, surgery. They found out it's not what they thought it was. It's a good situation, a best case scenario. He is treatable and he should be out soon. Praise God. I mean, if you've ever been in that experience where you think the worst thing and then the best thing happens, it's like you feel much better than before you ever heard that there was a problem, right? Suddenly, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so relieved. Thank you, God. I'm praising God. I couldn't wait to tell my wife. Couldn't wait to tell my family. Couldn't wait to tell everyone. I had texted and, and, and reached out to you. Hey, praise God. Thank you for praying. Man, it's the best news that we could have heard. We love to share great news, don't we? We love to tell people good news. Can you think of something that you just couldn't wait to tell someone you love? Maybe it was your spouse or your kids or your, uh, your parents. Maybe it was a friend at school or it was your boss or uh, somebody in your neighborhood. Some, somebody you couldn't wait to share the good news with them. Hey, kids, we're going to Disney World, right? Sorry, not, not you guys. I know you're down front right now. Um, just an example. I'm in love, and I want everyone to know it. We're pregnant. It's a boy. It's a girl. She said yes. <laughs> I got into my number one choice for college. Send all, you know, text all caps to your friends. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. Can't wait to hear that again. Hopefully in my <laughs> lifetime, in my lifetime, I will be able to text that out, that good news. We, friends, if you know Christ, if you know Jesus, the gospel is great news. Amen? Let me say that again. The gospel is great news. Amen? Amen. Amen. In fact, that is really what the word gospel means. It means good news or great news. Paul shows us here in the text just four reasons of many of why we have such great news. Listen to some of the things he said. First of all, he shows us that it's clear and simple. Isn't the gospel so clear and simple? He says in verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that is, he is God, he is the Messiah, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a really simple message, isn't it? Not so complicated. Paul is using the the phrase declare and believe sort of synonymously. In other words, he's saying your mouth is essentially repeating what your heart already believes that Jesus saves. It's the good news of the gospel. The good news is so clear and simple that people in remote villages through a language barrier can know the gospel. It is so easy to grasp that a child can understand the essential nature of the gospel. You don't have to have a certain education level 
in order to understand the gospel. You don't have to be able to read the Bible to know and to understand the gospel. People with, I know many people with special needs and cognitive disabilities who can understand the basic news of the gospel. It's clear, it's simple, it's uncluttered. I don't know why we often clutter it so much. It is simple and it is clear. Paul also shows us that it's free. The gospel is free. Did Paul say that if you believe in your heart and read your Bible 30 minutes every day and pray three times and four of your really godly a day, and as long as you commit to not saying any more of those bad words, and as long as you recycle, you will be saved. Is that what Paul says? It's not what Paul says. You don't have to have a certain number of works. You don't have to have your good outweigh your bad. And this is what separates Christianity, our faith, from every other world religion out there. Pastor Rio was telling me, he works in um, Muslim communities. He was telling me that many of the people in Southeast Asia where he works will spend their entire savings to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. It's one of the five pillars of Islam is to make a, a pilgrimage to Mecca, where the Prophet Muhammad was from. Some will even go as far, he said, as selling their homes in order to make this trip. You say, why in the world would they do that? Because they sincerely believe that they must work their sins off by doing these Uh, five pillars obeying the Quran in order to potentially earn Allah's favor. It's a works-based concept. Now, I'm not just picking on Islam. This is true of every religion. You just, you know, you just take one thing out and insert another, okay? But it's true for all of them. The, The idea of religion is that God has this like ladder that we need to build to him. Right, And we need to build it rung by rung by our good works to climb up the ladder to finally reach heaven. That's religion. Christianity says that God built the ladder down from heaven to us in Jesus Christ. And he offers us the free gift of salvation to anyone who believes. And it's just a matter of us opening it up. Jesus is the ladder. Come down for us. It is a free gift. Now, it costs Jesus everything, but it is a free gift for us, a gift of love. Paul also shows us that the gospel is sure. It's great news because we have assurance. Rio was telling me that one of the most powerful questions that he can ask some of the the Muslim people that he talks to is to ask, hey, with all the good works that you're trying to do, Do you have an assurance that one day you will go to heaven? He says, if they know the Quran, they will have to answer that question, no, I do not have assurance. They will say only if Allah wills. And even that we just don't know, hopefully I have enough good and he is merciful to me, but I have no assurance. You know, if you talk to the average American, they're probably going to tell you the same exact thing. 
Talk to the average American. Hey, do you know that if you die one day that you're going to go to heaven? What will the average American probably say? I hope so. Maybe. Oh, if I believe in God, if I believe in heaven, I'd like to think I'll get there. Oh, well, what, what makes you so, you know, feel hopeful? Well, I'm hoping I did enough good things throughout my life, and that kind of outweighs the bad, the, the bad things. Or, you know, I hope my, my grandmother, who went to church all the time, kind of puts in a good word for me. All kinds of things you'll hear. But it's a, well, I hope so. I don't really know. And many people that do not know Jesus Christ who do not have an assurance, and maybe this is you today, or maybe this was you, like it was me, late at night, when their minds are going and they're thinking about death, or they're thinking about their life, a dread grips their hearts. And they wonder, what would happen to me? What if I don't wake up? What's gonna happen in my life? This was me at about 17 years old, coming back from, you know, a party, dizzy, room spinning, and wondering, if I died tonight, I have no assurance of where I'm going. I remember at times wanting to stay up and keep my eyes open out of fear that gripped me that I might die, and what would happen to me? Ah, friends, the great news of the gospel is that there's assurance. Paul didn't say if you call upon the name that there's a chance he might hear you if you say it loud enough. (laughs) No. You will be saved, Paul says. Now, where in the world did he get such confidence like that? Well, he got it from Jesus. What did Jesus say? John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. There's an assurance. You can know that you know that you know that you will be with him forever if you believe in Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures tell us. It is great news because it's sure. Lastly, Paul tells us it is great news because it's available to all people. All people. Listen to um, the inclusive message. You know, we love inclusive messages in our culture today. Listen to how inclusive this message is. Anyone, verse 11, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone. For there is no no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. We have the most inclusive, exclusive message in the world. Oh, it's exclusive. There is one way, one name upon which we can call in order to be saved, Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man is the person of Jesus Christ. But wow, how inclusive it is. It's open for all people. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done, how far away you think you are from God, how much sin and guilt and shame you are racked with. I don't care what kind of religious background you have, how much money you've made, the rich and the poor, the educated, the uneducated, you could be making billion dollar deals in an executive C-suite, or you can be in a back alley with a needle in your arm, and the gospel is right here, ready for you. This is the good news. It's available across every ethnic diversity. 
It's a great, it's available through every political background. If you're blue or you're red or you're green or some other color, it is available for you. Jesus said to the prostitute and the thief and the religious Pharisee, come unto me all who are weary and I will give you rest. This is great news. Isn't the gospel such great news, friends? And this is just scratching the surface. Oh my goodness, we could say, and if you know the gospel, if you know Jesus, you could begin talking about what happens when you accept this truth into your life, how it begins to transform your life and free you and give you a new unconditional love and acceptance that you never had before and a peace that you never had before and a new mission and purpose and a new family of people, new brothers and sisters that we get to have in the church. I mean, just take that in for a moment, the great news of the gospel for you. Even if you're here to get to today and you're kind of skeptical about everything I said, you're not even sure if there is a God or if there is, if this is really the one, and you're not even sure about any of this, but you had have to say, even you, you would have to say, man, if this is true, wow, that's great news. <laughs> that is the greatest news if this is true. You won't meet anyone that says, oh, that's terrible news. It's great news. How much greater have we believed? Have you pondered how great the gospel is for you personally lately? One of the questions, I'd encourage you to ask this question. This is a question I ask myself. And just, it stirs up my, my affections and my love for Jesus and what he's done for my life. Where would I be today if Jesus didn't come into my life? Have you asked that question to yourself lately? Where would I be if Jesus had not come into my life? If Jesus didn't come into my life as a young 18-year-old, what in the world would have happened to my life? If I just kind of play out the stuff that was in my life, the insecurity, the narcissism, the addiction, the way I treated women, my perspective, how I talked, what if that just kind of had its opportunity to to spill out over the next decade or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, what would have happened to my life and the destruction I would have brought in other people's lives? I, I'm a work in progress, okay? But I am not the man that I was when I was 18. Glory to God for that. Where would you be if Jesus hadn't come into your life? The gospel is great news. That's number one thing Paul tells us. Number two is that great news, guess what? It's meant to be shared, isn't it? That's how great news works. And this, listen to Paul's logic. He says in verse 14, how then can they call on the name of the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Paul would have made a really good lawyer, wouldn't he? I'm convinced. <laughs> Yeah, you follow the logic, logic, you see the connection that he's making. He's saying, man, the gospel is so great. It's simple. It's free. It's sure. It's available to all people. But how's anyone going to know about the good news unless somebody says it? How is anyone going to access this great news unless we tell them, unless it's shared with them? Yeah, we like to ask philosophical questions. You know, you have, ever have anyone say, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? Deep thoughts. 
How many of you say, yeah, it, ma- it makes a sound? How many? How many of you say, no, it, does not make a, it doesn't make a sound? Okay. Interesting. I have somebody after the service give me the, the technical answer to that, and I won't even try to explain it to you. Okay. Here's a better philosophical question. Hmm? If we have this great news, but we don't share it with anyone, how will they know it's great? Ooh, that's deep. <laughs> Friends, we have great news to share. It's meant to be shared with others. So why don't we do that? Why don't we share more? Why are we so reluctant to share the gospel? I'm putting myself in this camp. I have my own fears. I have my own reluctancy at times. Why is it that we are so reluctant? Well, you heard Rio last week share some barriers of those, and that that spoke to me. Recently in uh, the Barna Group, which is a big research, uh, Christian research group, they released a comprehensive study on why Christians are increasingly reluctant to share their faith, um, on spiritual conversations in America, and uh, fascinating findings. I want to share with you a few of their findings. Barna said, according to the research, that increasingly Christians aren't sharing their faith because, here's one myth that they said, that, that many people believe that spiritual conversations take place in special places during special moments with special people. In 1993, uh, Christians answered uh, or, or affirmed this statement. Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. Nine out of ten Christians in 1993 agreed with that, that every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. Today, only two-thirds say that's true. That's a 25% drop since 1993. What does that mean? Well, we increasingly are prone to say, well, that's not really my responsibility. You know, that's a special few professionals. You know, the name tag tag kind of people. You know, those holy people. Those people with the microphone on. Those evangelists. Those people that are gifted right. It's not my Myers-Briggs. That's not my Enneagram number. I'm an introvert. You know, that's for those extroverted people. Isn't this how we often think? A, a quick, quick poll, okay? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. How many of you know how to speak a language? I'd say a foreign language, a language. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm not, I'm not participating in this poll. I know where this is going to go. <laughs> raise your hand. Keep your hand raised, Okay. Now, how many of you know the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that if you accept his forgiveness, you will be eternally saved? And I just shared it with you in case you weren't sure. How many of you know the gospel? Okay. Okay. Now, how many of you know someone who does not yet know or believe the gospel? Wow, all of you just qualified yourself <laughs> to be the, in the, among the group of people that Paul says have been sent to share the great news of the gospel. See, friends, your confession is your calling. Your salvation is your sending. 
Your baptism is your commission. (laughs) You being a disciple means that you are a disciple maker. This is normal, ordinary Christianity. Not for the special few. And it's not just the professionals. In fact, the research has verified this. This is fascinating. When asked who they prefer to have spiritual conversations with, non-Christians indicated strongly that friends are at the top of the list with 55%. Non-Christians want to have spiritual conversations with their friends. You know where way down on the list are pastors? Me, 6%. 6%. I'm not offended. You know, we think, you, you all think, well, maybe my friend or my neighbor or my coworker, if, if I got, if I got Nate, Pastor Nate in front of them, if I got Terry in front of them, if I got this missionary in front of them, maybe they'll share the gospel with them. They don't want to talk to us. <laughs> they want to talk to you. <laughs> They want to have that conversation with you. Get this statistic. Nine out of ten people who have had spiritual conversations that are life-changing said they had it with someone they knew well. In other words, life change happens because of spiritual conversations among ordinary people in ordinary days in your ordinary life. The exact opposite of the myth that we often belief. All right, well, why else? Okay, why else? You say, well, that's not really my burden. Here's my burden. Here's my barrier, my reluctance to share. Barna says that many Christians believe that spiritual conversations are serious events and burdensome duties that are, in the end, painful and regrettable. You ever feel that way? Oh, I, it's just, this produces so much anxiety to even think about it. I would be so awkward in the conversation. They would probably hate me. They would probably, you know, never want to talk to me again. It's going to ruin the friendship. And I'm just going to wish I never said anything. That's what we think. Now, I don't know where we came up with that. Paul definitely didn't think that way. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. Paul concludes in verse 15, how beautiful How beautiful are the feet of those who share good news. Beautiful. Any of you like feet? (laughs) Anybody think feet are beautiful? God bless you, Patrick, for being brave. (laughs) But most ordinary people will not raise their hand to such a question. Why? Because feet, I mean... If I took off my shoes and socks right now, nobody's going to be impressed. (laughs) You know, feet are kind of gross and smelly, especially first century feet. Disgusting. How are feet beautiful, Paul? Feet are beautiful not because of how they smell or look. They're beautiful because of what they do. They, They take us into places where people can access God in spiritual conversations. See, what's beautiful is the action of the feet. 
It's where Jesus is. It's where God is. It's beautiful to him because he now enters into the conversation when we have spiritual conversations with others. It's delightful to God. It's attractive to God when we do this. And you know what else is beautiful about those feet of those who share? Again, Barna shows that one-third of all adults in America, one-third of all adults in America, claim they have had per, uh, personally made a big change in their life because of a conversation about faith. Wow. Isn't that amazing? One-third of the time that you have faith conversations, people are saying, you know, I might make a change in my life because of this. And think about it. Isn't that what the gospel is all about? A change in their life? If you're sharing the gospel, the kinds of things that people should be thinking is, wow, wait, you mean I could be forgiven? I don't have to wallow in shame and guilt? Wait, are you saying that I can actually be loved unconditionally? Are you claiming that I can have a relationship with God and experience his presence in my life? That I can obtain an identity that's stronger and bigger than my job performance or what my friends think about me or what the opposite sex thinks about me? I I have this access to a power to overcome my bad habits? This This is what the gospel tells them life transforming. It's beautiful. And it's not just beautiful in the results that are beautiful. It's beautiful in the experience of sharing. Interestingly, the research concludes that instead of the experience of burden and regret, experientially the opposite is true. In the study, they found that when people are having spiritual conversations, they are more prone to laughing together, experiencing peace and joy, and even exhilaration. And very few report feeling stressed, annoyance, confusion, and anger. This isn't just the person sharing, but the the non-Christian person who's interacting with them. It's the exact opposite of of the myth that we have built up in our head. Isn't that interesting? And this has absolutely been my experience. There's a powerful human connection with someone when you begin telling them about what God has done in your life. It opens them up to a realm that they haven't even thought about, maybe. And I find myself when I'm sharing, I'm smiling uncontrollably. (laughs) You know, they're smiling back at me. We're we're kind of giggling at times. You know, it's kind of, there's, there's an interesting thing that's happening. Often the curiosity leads to more questions, and they begin to open up and share about things personally in their background, in their experience. Recently, I had a spiritual conversation with a neighbor who said to me, you know, Nate, I love talking to you because so many conversations I talk to other people, and it's all about sports and the weather and politics, and it's so refreshing to talk about something else. (laughs) Thank you. Praise God. I agree. Rarely have I said somebody angry and annoyed that I shared something with them at all. Rarely have I said somebody when I say, hey, how can I pray for you? I just sense... I'm supposed to pray for you. Say, how dare you ask such a question? No. Will you experience rejection? Yeah, you start getting into, you know, you're you're a sinner. The Bible says this about sin, and this separates us from a holy God. And these, these get, when you start getting into that, yes, you might experience rejection. They might want to shut down the conversation. 
But more often than not, when I say, when I strike up the conversation, I'm so surprised at what God is doing in me. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we have great news to share. It is meant to be shared. Thirdly, okay, this is really, this is really tough thing, stuff, okay? This is like really complex. Number three, go share it. I told you this is going to be simple, right? Go share it. You hear the urgency in Paul's words? How are people going to know the good news unless we share it? There's an urgency in it. It's urgent because we don't know how long somebody's going to live. We don't know how long we're going to be here on earth. It's urgent because every day apart from God, somebody is inviting sin into their life, inviting destruction into their life, inviting a, a... of the enemy into their life. And they're not getting to experience the blessings of the gospel. It's urgent because we don't know how long the Holy Spirit might open up a window of opportunity in somebody's heart. It's why the Bible says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do you have an urgency? Now, let me clarify what I mean. When I, when I say urgency, what I mean and what I don't mean. When I say urgency to share the gospel, what I don't mean is that we should all be shouting in irritated, uh, uh, anxious tones to people that the ship is sinking and you have to get on as quickly as possible. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm saying for most people, the urgency of the gospel. I'm not saying that I think we should all go out and carpet bomb all the the the, the the cars in the parking lot with tracks. I'm not saying that you should evangelist spam people, okay? I don't see that model in scripture. I don't see that what Jesus did. I don't see these methods being prescribed. You say, well, John the Baptist did it. Okay. But there's only one of him, and he's not you. And he was a prophet for a very specific time in history to fulfill a very specific calling. And let me remind you, he got his head cut off for fighting with Herod and his wife, okay? There's a few of you that are John the Baptistites, but for the rest of us, the kind of urgency I'm talking about is making the most of the opportunity in relationship when God presents it. That's what I'm talking about. Galen Burkholder's book, Ordinary Disciples, he tells a story of Michelle. Michelle who came to faith, but she didn't grow up in a Christian home. She sensed something was missing in her life, but she didn't know what it was. And one evening um, after um, the day in high school, Michelle was hanging around with several of her good friends, and her friends were talking about going to see this movie. And she said, well, can I tag along? Can I come along? And they kind of sheepishly were like, if you want to, because the movie they were going to see was a a Christian movie. Some of you, if you're old enough, will know the late great planet Earth. Some of you might recall that movie. It was based on a book by Hal Lindsey. And so she went, and for the first time she heard that uh, someone declared that there was a God and you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And she felt this conviction, but she didn't know what to do with it. A few days pass, and these same friends, she hears them talking about going to an evening church service. And she says, well, can I come along? And they sheepishly again said, if you want to. And so she came along. And that evening, she heard a very clear gospel invitation. She surrendered her life to Christ right there. After the service, she came to her friends and said, guess what? I I gave my life to Jesus. And they were shocked. You did? Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. She, She said, I knew there was something different about you all. 
I didn't know what it was, but I could tell by the way you lived your life. But can I ask you a question? How come you never said any of this to me before? Oh, that's awkward. (laughs) And they sort of said, well, we didn't think you cared. So wait, you think I didn't care that I can know God personally and that I can find out where I am going to go when I die one day? You think I don't care about that? Well, that's convicting, isn't it? I wonder if any of you have Michelles in your life right now. I wonder if any of us have people that we've known for years and years and years. And they know that you go to church. They don't know what you do here. They know maybe something's different about your life, but you have never said anything about your faith. You've never invited them into a relationship. Maybe, just maybe, God has given you a divine appointment. Somebody, some people that might be Michelle's for you in your life. Say, okay, Nate, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, um, let me just fire off some quick ways that, that I try to do this. I try to practice this in my life, or I have tried to practice this in my life. Strike up a conversation with the person sitting next to you on a flight. They can't go anywhere, you know? And if they want to stop talking to you, they'll put in their AirPods. Okay. But sit next to them and, and start. Prayerfully look for an opportunity, okay? Look at them strangely. Okay, don't do, don't do that. Just say, hi, my name's Nate. What's your name? And see where the conversation goes, okay? How about walking your dog? A quarter of the reason why we got a dog was because I wanted to be challenged in evangelism <laughs> in my neighborhood. I wanted an excuse to like walk my neighborhood and get to know the people in my neighborhood and strike up conversations, and that's exactly what happened. I have my AirPods uh, out, and I'm looking to engage with people as I'm walking uh, in my neighborhood. And so many incredible spiritual conversations have come just out of that. How about asking your teammates, if you're in, in school, ask your teammates on the soccer field, hey, can, can I pray for our team before we go out in the soccer field? Can I just lead us in a prayer and see where that goes? How about your friends at school? Uh, many of you students are going on a mission trip. Raise your hand if you're going on one of the mission trips. All right, look behind you in the balcony. Keep, keep them up. All right, there's about 100 students that are going on a mission trip. All right, hey, here's a challenge, guys. People say, oh, oh, what are you going to be doing this summer? So they're saying, oh, Fortnite? (laughs) Why don't you say, I'm going to go on a mission trip with my church to fill in the blank. Really? Why why are you doing that? Boom. Spiritual conversation, friends. All right. In the coffee shop, take your Bible. In the coffee shop, set it next to you. AirPods out. Remember. Okay. Relationships. Okay? And when you see somebody look at your Bible, because they will, because that's odd, okay? you make eye contact back and be like, yeah, hey, it's a, it's a Bible. You ever read one of these? Spiritual conversation. That works. I've done that a bunch of times. How about in your office, talking to your cube mates about your weekend plans? You know, it's a Friday. Oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, what are you doing this weekend? Hey, how about instead of saying, Fortnite? No, whatever you might say. Say, oh, I'm going to church. We're doing this thing in my church. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to this event that's coming up. Or some of my friends from church are getting together. See where the conversation 
goes. Identify people in your neighborhood who need service projects done, lawns mowed, sticks picked up, uh, uh, driveways plowed, and look for opportunities in relationship. Have people over to your house or over to your backyard. Friends, the opportunities are endless if we have our eyes open. If we have our eyes open. Now, next week, we're going to unveil a six-month initiative in order to reach our community. Reaching our community is one of our of three strategic initiatives in the next three years we're going to be embarking on, and we're going to uh, commit to a six-month initiative, and we can do this together. We're going to make it simple. We're going to make it something we can do together. We're going to resource you. You're going to equip you, and we're going to send you out, okay? We're going to... We're going we're gonna to make this an opportunity for us to be challenged in a new way. Here's how I want to close our time. I don't want you leaving filled with, racked with guilt and shame. Oh my goodness, look at these opportunities I've missed. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about, I want you to pray about, I want you to meditate on just this one question this week. Personally, what is so great about the gospel? And pray on that and just write down everything that comes to your heart of what is so great about the gospel. And see what God begins to do in your heart. The band's going to come up. We're going to just sing one last song. I know we're a little bit over time, but I, th- I feel like we need, to, we need to respond. We need to respond to this. So the band's going to come up. And then we are going to we're going to respond to what the Lord is doing in our heart. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. May we be a light in the dark world. Where would we be without our Savior today? Lord, may you fill us up with the greatness of the gospel that it it has no option but to overflow in the lives of other people, just as you intended it. In Jesus' name, amen.